I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Andy, according to my friend, Internet, this is what Letterboxd is. Letterboxd is a global social network for grassroots film discussion and discovery. Use it as a diary to record and share your opinion about films as you watch them, or just keep track of films you've seen in the past. Showcase your favorites on your profile page. That is a lot. You bet it is. That's why I want you to tell our fair listeners just one thing you do with Letterboxd that has changed the way you watch movies. Let them have it. Okay, are you ready for this? So ready. I love lists. As of today, I have 246 lists in my account. I use them to track the movies I watch, organize them in all sorts of different ways. I track them by hand. I clone lists from other people. I use them to plan what I'm going to be watching. All sorts of things. I just, I love creating lists. It's a fantastic tool. Sexiest animated characters. Andy, what is this? We love Letterboxd. And if you're a movie lover, we are sure you will too. And when you upgrade from the free account, you will remove ads and support the great Kiwi team building this amazing service. Just use the discount code NEXTREEL or visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxd to get 20% off your pro or patron membership. And it works for renewals as well. Streaming services are on the rise, and brick-and-mortar video stores are a thing of the past. We have lost that experience of wandering the aisles and stumbling upon a film we've never heard of. We have replaced the familiar face behind the video store counter with an algorithm to recommend films. With more and more content available, it's harder to know what's worth watching and what might be a waste of your time. There are many hidden gems out there waiting to be discovered, and we want to help you find them. This is Trailer Rewind, a podcast where we discuss and review recently forgotten or overlooked films that are now available to stream at home. This month on Trailer Rewind, we are looking at a film and its remake. In today's episode, we are going to discuss 2014's The Kindergarten Teacher from Israeli filmmaker Nadav Lapid. You have a yellow machine. 
שומע את הכוח של המילים? את העוצמה של האהבה? כותב המון על אהבה מוחמצת. אפשר לחשוב שהוא איזה רווקה בת 40. כמו ששירים צצים ממנו עכשיו, יש לי שיר, יש לי שיר, ככה גם הכל יכול לדמום. החצר מגובה של חתולת רחוב. תחשוב על זה. אם זה היה תלוי בי, אני כבר עכשיו הייתי מנסה לעניין מוציא לאור. המשחק, הנעל, הכדור, שמש. אלימות. Today is April 15th, and the kindergarten teacher is on Canopy and Voodoo, free with ads. Now, JJ, which one did you uh, access that? Were you a Canopy person, or are you a Voodoo, free with the commercial interruptions type of person? I'm a Voodoo person in general, and I felt like the commercial interruptions were helpful for me here, too, with the subtitles and you know whatnot. I thought it actually worked for me well. It is key to mention that the other version that we're going to talk about on a later show is available on Netflix. Yes. So we should make sure that if we're going to look for the original, this 2014 Israeli version, that you want to do either of those two that you mentioned, Canopy or yes. Voodoo, or just purchase it on a different place. But right. it's streaming on both those places yes. now. How about you? What did you, you watch Canopy? I'm, I'm a Canopy person. My public library has got me uh, access to all of that stuff. But I will say I have seen some things on the Voodoo free with ads. And what I do appreciate is that, at least in the ones that I most recently recall watching, The commercial breaks are sometimes in, the, in strange places, but when it comes back, it's like they roll back about like maybe five to seven seconds. So it's not like it's they a do. cut and then they throw the commercial and you resume. It takes it back. So you sort of get back into the flow of wherever that break occurred. So, And I think that that helps immensely. I think the other thing that I would say, the only annoying part about it is that it's always the same two or three ads. So every <laughs> yes. break is the same two or three ads. I saw the Tina Fey Mayhem Allstate commercial, <laughs> I think, over the course of the last week, probably like 75 times. But um, with this film alone, probably like 20. But still, no, it's not that much. But still, um, yeah. So that's the only – but yeah, the way it's set up is it's, – it's a good setup for it. If you, it and it says this is a, a great movie to get for free. Yes. Uh, with ads on Voodoo. So, well, this version of The Kindergarten Teacher was released into two U.S. theaters. So we're, we're continuing our trend of single-digit theatrical releases. This was two U.S. theaters on July 31st, 2015, and it hung around in various theaters until the end of the year. So the numbers sort of fluctuated all over, but it seemed to be in theaters somewhere all the way through the end of 2015. Uh, yeah. What's interesting is the year before, back in 2014, it was released in France, played on 51 screens over four days. So I, I was, okay. I, at first I thought, oh, this is like a film festival, four days. But I thought, 51 screens, that's not just a film festival. That's like... No, that's a release. <laughs> that's a wide yeah. release, but for four days. Yeah. So then oh, it, it, it hit the, the U.S. on iTunes and Blu-ray simultaneously on December 8th. 2015. So again, this with a foreign release like this, but you know, as I think, I was thinking back on this, this sort of trailer rewind we've done this year, we've had like a foreign film in each pairing that we did because yeah, we had yeah. Aniara was foreign, uh, Wild Rose is it's English language, it's still a, a foreign yeah. film, you know, That's outside Spanish, outside yeah. the U.S. So I thought, oh, we've done a nice job of always. Balancing some things out with a foreign release, but it does bring challenges to availability of when it was in theaters. But for me, that's, again, the reason we do this. This is something that you may stumble across on Canopy or as you're scrolling through Voodoo looking for what's free. 
come across this and wondering, is this worth my time? Is this a film for me? Should I spend my two hours watching this foreign film? What's going to make me read subtitles, which as we've heard is sometimes an issue and challenge for American audiences. So what, well, and these are great, these are great options for if you're looking for something and you haven't heard of it before. So with with this one, I want to talk about what type of film is this? Is this a character study? Is it an allegory? Is it a tragedy? How would you sort of categorize the overall like genre or, or atmospheric feeling of this film? Well, I think it could be any one of those things. For me watching it, it became a bit of a tragedy. I think I was I was really on the surface level of what was happening here. Um, it really gave me the feeling of kind of the feeling that we had when we watched something like Faults in the past, okay. where it, uh, it starts with a simple sort of um, situation, or a, and by simple, I mean something that's understandable, and it goes into an emotional place that you uh, are not necessarily comfortable with, and you have to reconcile what, what you want to do with the uncomfortable uncomfortability and the negative emotions. So I see it as a tragedy. That being said, I could easily say that because of the subject matter and because of the way that it is presented, the the artful way that it's presented, it could definitely be an allegory. It could definitely be pointing at additional things that I wasn't really thinking deeply into the story. I was so affected by things emotionally in this movie that that I just kind of dealt with that surface level tragedy that we experienced. Well, and I I think Faults is a good comparison to this one because it's it's a film that's grounded in, in reality with with realistic characters. I mean, a, a kindergarten teacher, right. a, a student. These are all things that are, are familiar to Very approachable. To, uh, yes, yeah. familiar and approachable. I, I wondered if part of this sort of like allegorical feeling, like there's something maybe larger being spoken. I wasn't sure if that was partially attributable to a, a cultural gap of. American sure. culture versus the culture in in Israel of you've got a foreign language, you've got uh, foreign culture, and it's just is this a, a structure that is there's some barriers there because of either if there's references to things that are cultural touchstones there. You know, whenever you're talking about the arts, what is that role in that culture? It, right. Are these pieces that you know are more familiar there? I don't know if that's the piece, but it, it did sort of lend itself to that of it might be speaking to, to larger issues, but not explicitly and directly. So that was, right. yeah. It, and that's where it, it's a piece of art. You can look at this and go that direction. Yes. And I, and I assume that some people will. Um, but in, for me, again, that sort of surface level emotion was so tangible that I wasn't I wasn't thinking that deeply about it because I was so focused on experiencing the emotions as I watched the film. And they are tragic. We should say that too, that it, it is negative, you know, uncomfortable types of things that were, that you're, that they're pressing you on as you watch this film. Well, and I think you even get that sense from the trailer as I, as I recall, and I, it may have, I think I picked the, one of us on a Saturday matinee had picked the, the 2018 one that we'll be talking about later True. as a trailer pick. So I had gone back to to watch this trailer when I found out that it was it was a, the 2018 American version was a remake. I thought, oh well, what is the original? And there is this darkness that you get even in the trailer of this woman's making some decisions that 
okay, there's something not quite right here. And how dark is this going to get is, you know, anything with small right. children is tough for me sometimes because I'm like, okay, is this child going to be put in jeopardy? Is is there this right. child in danger? And that's always going to cause an extreme amount. As, as a parent, it's going to always create some anxiety and stress there of like, n- no, don't do anything to harm this this child. What What's going yeah. on? And so there is sort of tones of that throughout in terms of, what's going on, what's her intentions, what's going on. And so it does get into that darker, more more tragic aspect. I had it. seen the trailer as well, and I, I remember thinking, oh, I probably shouldn't see that movie. <laughs> um, but then, I, you know, and then when you suggested it, I had completely forgot about it, uh, you know, leading up to this. And then I, I, I um, you know, in, in looking at what we we're going to watch, I'm a huge Maggie Gyllenhaal fan. She's in the yeah. 2018 version. So I was like, oh, yeah, this. And I still didn't remember it. And then um, I went to it and I was like, oh, oh, it's that movie. And I hadn't realized that it had this sort of origin in this Israeli movie. And so, you know, I watched them in this order too. I watched the Israeli movie first. So I think um, it set me up for a better understanding of the the tragic arc that they're really trying to put forward in the movie here. Yeah. So I think overall, I mean, it's, this is one that you can just read straight. I mean, if there's allegorical pieces that, again, you can play that game of trying to pull out, is there some deeper meaning to this? But I don't think it requires or demands that of the audience. If you just want to approach this as here's the story of this this teacher and this student and this arc of this sort of dark journey that that occurs over this, you can totally interact with the film on that level. And I don't, I don't think you need to have the mindset that I tend to, I think more because of my background as a... Uh, you know, English major of like, let me parse out the the themes and motifs and what is there some larger meaning or, or theme to this that the the, yeah. the filmmaker is trying to present. Uh, I'm always going to sort of lean into that a little bit more, even if the, it's not, uh, ov- you know, overtly clear what it is. And for me, right. it, it wasn't. I couldn't draw a clear conclusion of, oh, this is a commentary on this. I have a a few right. ideas, but it wasn't anything where I said, oh, clearly this is what this filmmaker is trying to say. And as I did some research, I found that there were, you know, several articles and reviews that said, you know, similar things of, it feels like there may be something trying to be said here, but it's not clear. And it's perhaps up to the audience to figure that out for themselves. A great piece of art. That's yeah. what art's supposed to be. Exactly. So as a great piece of art, how did this, uh, how did you end up ranking this? So, you know, we've got a sense of the type of film it is. And as you said, it wasn't something as your initial reaction, to the trailer was, Oh, this isn't for me, but now getting into sort of your, your ranking and rating this, how, how'd you end up feeling about this one? Where did it well, fall? it's in the top half for me. It's a, it's a 97 out of 232. Um, and I think I, th- I'm excited to talk about it. Cause I think there's a lot to be said um, about this as a piece of art and thinking about, it, it, for film buffs in particular, if you like how movies handle tragedy um, or handle uncomfortable subjects, I think this is a really interesting piece. So at 97 out of 232 for me, it comes in between two other uh, Trailer Rewind movies, actually. So it's just above Experimenter, which I think is a lot of interesting art about a, a unique thing. But I, I liked Kindergarten Teacher better than that. And then just below Felony, where um, Felony oh, is yeah. so straightforward in the way yeah. that it approached how it was trying to make you feel where this one is a little bit of a gray area, not in a bad way, not in a bad way, both uh, positives for me, but I put the kindergarten teacher right in between felony and experimenter at 97 of 232. 
Okay. How about you? Uh, this one is I'll get in as we discuss it in more detail, be able to maybe clarify some of this or explain why, but it ended up really, really high for me. But it did, oh, great. It did end up near another trailer, trailer rewind film. So for me, it's at 54, which puts it just above the Congress, which is another, okay. you know, <laughs> crazy film. It, what's, what's it saying? It's not always clear, but... Clearly, a great piece and of I don't art. I think the Congress would be upset with you calling it crazy. <laughs> no, I think it's. I think that would be. It would wear that crazy as right. a badge of honor. But yes, I agree. And then it was just below Hell or High Water, which was that great. Oh, uh, yes. Jeff Bridges, Chris Pine, Ben Foster. Yeah, to ben me, Foster. Yes. So it's 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 right up there for me. This was like a solid four stars for me on, on nice. this one. Yes. Yeah. No. I'm 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 a four star too. I was somewhere between three and a half and four. Yeah, so I'm I'm right in the same area for 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 this one uh, in terms of rating, and definitely a like for me. So over on Letterboxd, it has a weighted average review of three point four one. So okay. sort of right, with yeah, but right, probably you know right in that range. Seven hundred and fifty reviews. So previous films we've talked about thousands of reviews. This one only seven hundred and fifty on on Letterboxd. Over at Flickchart, nine people have ranked it over there. So not a oh. film that's being viewed by the flick chart community. I think that one may skew a little bit more towards your your big tentpole films. Blockbusters, uh, yeah. yeah. And again, this is one that I think may not have shown up on a lot of people's radar because it just didn't have the distribution and wasn't one that I think I was I wouldn't have been aware of this film if it hadn't been for the the remake. So it doesn't surprise sure. me. I mean, clearly when Letterbox only has 750 reviews, it's not a film that's been widely seen. Well, and you only had four days to see it in France on 51 different theaters. <laughs> That's so right. That's if you right. weren't in you know, Paris at the right time, you wouldn't have been able to catch it. Right. So, well, listeners, based on our sort of reviews, uh, our ratings here and what we've, we've said about this, if you think this is the kind of film you want to explore on your own and don't want anything spoiled, this is your chance to pause the podcast and go check out The Kindergarten Teacher on Canopy or Free With Ads on Voodoo. Okay, so JJ, before we delve deep into the story on this one, I think we really need to talk about the cinematography and camera work in this film because it's amazing. It, it's so good. <laughs> okay, it's so good. It's so it's so interesting. It's so you know I have we've talked a lot on on the the film board a little bit about uh, pet peeves with camera placement, for yes. example, and uh, this one takes so many different perspectives it, it it's it's almost as if when i was watching this i was like i want to make movies in israel so i can work with no <laughs> rules too you know i mean like it, it 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 but it never felt the the interesting thing about this and walking that line and the reason why i bring up the pet peeves on the film board is because the interesting part about it is that a lot of times that would annoy me or that would annoy some people in watching it They're like well who's watching from that angle or whatever you know <laughs> but it, every time in this film it's done in such an interesting and artful way and the the motion control stuff and like everything every movement that was was contr controlled and set for it felt like it was there for a reason and we talked about in the intro here that the the reasons might not not be readily apparent but it felt artful everything about it felt sort of curated and i really liked that i was super happy about the camera the whole way through the movie so what makes it work for you for the, the camera, I mean, I, I'm right there with you. I I love the way the look of this film, the way the camera is placed, where it, some, the the movement to it. But 
you know, this is sort of your your domain a little bit. Why does it work here where, you know, other times you might say that it doesn't work or you're just placing the camera there because you you know it's going to look cool and it's it's clearly not appropriate there, but it creates a cool look that doesn't fit in. How does this integrate with the story or, or why does it work? Is it just because you've we haven't seen it before? I mean, what, what, well, I don't have a technical answer in this yeah, case okay, for this particular sure, sure. movie, but I have kind of like a symbolically poetic reason for okay. it. And I feel like it's like a song in, oh. in the way that each each setup of shots were put together in a way of phrasing that made it work in the ultimate meaning of what it was trying to tell you. So as the camera would drift or as we would get a, a locked pan that yeah. would go around on a tripod in a room. So you, it's not a pan with a direct movement from left to right. It's actually locked on a, a single point, and it pans around a room. And it doesn't follow someone, but it will, at the end of its movement to the from left to right, it'll pick up someone. And then it will move with the person after that. So that's what I mean about, like, phrasing in the okay. camera. You don't have art for art's sake and you don't okay. necessarily understand the the technical reasons. I would say from my standpoint I didn't care to try and project something on it. I just really enjoyed the way that the song, the phrasing of the camera work was put together in that we had this sort of purposeful movement when it happened and it actually picked up the story in a visual way. And I would say that that it's indicative of the of this version in a much greater sense, too, in that they aren't necessarily spoon-feeding the audience anything. There isn't necessarily everything in the dialogue. There isn't necessarily, there isn't exposition. There is just this piece of art that's set up there for you to take it in and see how you feel about it. And the camera, in a visual way, the camera was part of that here, and I thought it was really special. I, I liked all of the creative stuff they did with the camera in this movie. Well, it it's something that for me early on, my attention was focused on where the camera is because our, our very first shot is like over the shoulder of this man watching TV and he's, he's adjusting himself on the couch. Yeah. His elbow like bumps the camera like bangs twice, into bangs into twice, it. And yeah. I, th I thought, you, you left that in? Is this like a super low budget film and you only had this one take of this one shot? I thought that too. And then, I thought that too. The first time I was like, oh, it's just an error. Oh. But then there's other, there's so many other shots where it's, for me, it seems like so much like on our main character near it, like on her shoulder, like right next right. to her face. It's like the camera's just peeking over her shoulder and we're right there with her. It's not her point of view, but we're right next to her alongside See, of her. See, and that's a key difference, right? Yeah. So the, the scene that you're bringing up, it is her perspective. He's jostling her. Right. And, and she is the camera as right. it's getting bumped. But that isn't consistent through the film. There's many times where we have a third-person perspective, as you mentioned, over her shoulder, or right. that we are, you know, it's not really the the sort of capital E Eye of God right. setup, but it is in a place that's showing us something happening that we don't have a surrogate on screen to place in that role. I think um, the movie isn't consistent with it, but it's. But it's done again. That's why I kind of bring up the idea of phrasing. It's yeah. done with purpose every time, and you never feel like you're doing it for no reason. The shot that we always talk about in the film board that annoys us with this is from Child 44, where <laughs> the director placed the camera oh, in right. the forest right. to see, see things that were happening. And it's just like, 
it immediately gave us all the feeling of like, wait, who's in the forest? And then right. never connected anything with yeah. that shot. It didn't have anything to do with the scene, anything like that. That doesn't happen in this movie. We see things, but immediately we just understand the in a very sort of subtle way, we understand some sense of purpose to what we're looking at. And I think that's really, that's the art of this. It's not, it can't be, it's not easy. It's a balance that you have to find. And it also is potentially a statement about poetry as well, which we'll get into too yes. when we start talking about the subject oh, matter. Here. Yeah, it, it does. It, I mean, there's the, you know, and this, from the, the actually like banging into the camera at the beginning, the other one that yeah. to me was, that I had not seen before, not done in quite this way was it's, it's a very short shot of like Nira. It's like after work, or whatever she's out, like for a, for a walk or a jog. Cause she's in like sportswear and she, the camera's looking at her coming down at towards the camera down the sidewalk. And as she gets to where the camera is, it pans over to, to I think, Oh, she's just going to pass by. But then the camera gets to her and then moves along with her and sort of like almost comes alongside of her, almost like we're a disembodied spirit that's like waiting to for her to come to us. And then we're going to walk alongside her. And I thought, okay, this wasn't just, oh, she's walking. It's where the camera's like intruding into her space. And yeah. and there's a scene near near the end where our where the little boy Yav is in the ocean and he's he's got his poem and he starts reciting and one of his habits that we'll talk about is this this pacing that he does and we've seen him do it several times before but this time the camera's there and as he comes to the camera I mean he is walking right up to the camera I mean he is yep. way up in it and then he turns and yeah, and, and walks away it's now, a, the, the yeah. shot is not framed no. it's just there yeah. In a documentarian style. Exactly. Just, walks yes. up to it. And, and that's what I mean about no rules. Like, right. I love that yes. stuff. Yes. I want to see that everywhere. <laughs> but of course, you know, when we have certain DPs and American mm-hmm. folks, they look at it and they're yeah. like, oh, you can't do that. Yeah. That, that's, that's a problem. But it, it, it works here. And like I said, it's, it draws attention to itself, but not in a bad way. And to, I kept saying it's like intruding. There's, uh, when they're on the beach and Nira's writing the poems down, transcribing, the camera is like right there on top of her hand, like again, like yep. peeking in on it. And again, it's not a POV thing, and it's not not like shaky, you know, handheld stuff either. And that was the thing that amazed me is so many of these are up close. Clearly, we're I don't know what type of rig we're on, but this would normally be like oh, trying to get that feel of handheld, like we're more documentary style. But it doesn't come off that way. It's still this free motion, but there's something about it that is intentional and controlled. So it's not as jarring, but it's controlled in a, yeah, as you said, like out of the box, breaking the rules kind of way. So it's clear that there's a choice being made to do these things for a specific reason. I don't know always what they are, but it looks, I mean, beautiful. There's so many... So many camera moves. I think there's one where is it from like Yov's point of view? He's like on the swing and he tilts his head back, and we're yeah. looking up at this. I mean, or, or she or Nira is. I can't remember, but there's the way the camera is placed is just. I thought I want more movies shot this way, but it, it, I think it needs the right yeah. subject matter, and that's sort of the the piece that I think ties into this is since we're going to have a movie about poetry and creativity what that means well, uh, and you need support you need you need people who are comfortable with that you yes. need you need an artist behind right. the camera and leading the camera that is thoughtful in the way that you do it because so many times we see things that are set up you know and it's art for art's sake and you're just like ah eh. but this i mean it was so well done in the way that the story the shots telling the story had purpose right. and i think it, it it's a special thing about this movie 
Okay, we've talked a lot about how this thing looks, so we should probably talk about what's yeah. actually going on okay, <laughs> in okay. the story of the kindergarten teacher, uh, because I think there's some interesting things that happen here. So, I mean, the basic setup is we've got our main character, Nira. She's a, a kindergarten teacher. She discovers that one of her students, uh, she observes him just, like, reciting this poem. He starts pacing, and then he just delivers this this poem. And we know that she's been taking a poetry class on her own, something that she does after work. She's in this like creative writing poetry class and she's brought one of, we see one of her poems and sort of so-and-so, uh, you know, reviews. But then she starts to borrow the poems of her student and passing them off as her own and starts getting a little bit of praise from her poetry teacher. Uh, I wasn't sure how to feel about this. Like what... How am I supposed to feel about her? Is this just flat out theft? Is she, you know, what is her reason for doing this? Is she, she wants the praise, she wants to be a poet and she isn't capable of doing it herself. So she's going to steal from the, from the child. I mean, what was well, your, what, for me, I mean, the nature of the Israeli aspect of this, yeah. the fact that it's a foreign film had me really trusting the language because mm-hmm. it's possible that I don't pick up on the cultural nuances that right. are being revealed to us in the way that people are acting. So I tended to trust Nira in okay. that she feels that she has found genius okay, uh, and that she's trying to nurture it. And I think that's reinforced by two things. And that's – and we're going to start breaking into some spoiler territory here in that – she uh, she rats out the nanny for using it in the same way for auditions, which yes. is, I will say I don't think is a problem because she's not using it for her own personal gain. She's you know doing a monologue in an audition. Right. But regardless, that causes a huge problem immediately with the with Yoav's father. Right. But then when she is put in the position where she could receive acclaim, profit, publish, she immediately brings him to the mic and says that it's his. Right. So I tend to believe her. Now, I don't, I didn't catch that she was getting the special, I I didn't feel that she was getting uh, enriched by the special treatment. I do recognize that she did receive the special treatment. And, you know, there are some things that happen in that she, you know, gets into into relationships and uh, these kind of explicit things. But that being said, I never felt like she was taking advantage of it because I still believed throughout that her, now we might, Again, I, I bring up that I think that this is pr- partially because it's a foreign film, and I might not understand the social cues that they're putting forward there. I, I think when we talk about the American film, I might feel a little bit differently about it. But the but the part is, I felt like she really was focused on this poet and thinking that he was special, and she wanted something special for him. Well, yeah, and I think that's where this the story gets going because at first it's she's passing them off as her own, and she she sees this that it's Barely. not just I mean, well, right, but in a class, right? Like, but I think what she's doing is she she has a sense that these are really good poems, and I think she's getting some validation of it's not just her opinion, but that her, that everybody yeah. else in her class sees it. So it's it's sort and of validating trust her own opinion, right? She may be reading it, right, so that these other poets and including this right. poetry teacher, right, would see if they feel like it too. It's right. kind of like a, a, a test audience. Yes, exactly. It's validating her her opinion that this is really good poetry. And so then she gets into the fact of, okay, she's she's concerned about that we're losing poems. So she talks to Andy, like you've you've got to write these down. We can't lose these because she knows these are these are valuable and it's this child that's creating these and if we lose them they're they're lost for all time. And so her her first attempt to protect Yoav, she starts getting really protective about no one else understands him that he's this 
this valuable you know artist and so she starts by approaching the man whom she feels started you have on his path which is his uh, his uncle, because the the nanny tells a story about oh, uh, the uncle used to come and read poems to him and all that. And the way that that Nira describes this is, is she's talking with the uncle. And she says, "You're the man that opened him to the world of words." And so he was yeah, he like was that. once himself a poet, but he now works for a newspaper. <laughs> איש סיפרה לי שאתה פתחת בפני יואב את השער לעולם המילים, כמו שאומרים. מודה באשמה. כשאני מביטה מסביב, על הגן שלי, על ילדים בני חמש, ברור לי כמה קשה להיות משורר בעולם הזה. להיות משורר בעולם שלנו, זה ללכת נגד הטבע של העולם. המפגש עם יואב הוא אושר גדול. אבל גם שליחות. כמו ששירים צצים ממנו עכשיו, יש לי שיר, יש לי שיר, ככה גם הכל יכול לדמום. ומה יהיה כשהוא יתבגר? זיפים, פצעים. אם זה היה תלוי בי, אני כבר עכשיו הייתי מנסה לעניין מוציא לאור. רציתי לפנות לאבא שלו שייתן לי ייפוי כוח כדי לטפל בקריירה שלו, אבל הבנתי שהאבא עסוק, ובכלל, שהוא איש של אוכל, לא איש של מילים. אני אגב לא מחטטת. זאת מירי, המטפלת, שסיפרה לי את כל זה. אבל מירי, אני חייבת להזהיר את דמות מאוד בעייתית עבור יואב. לא רק שהיא לא מבינה את גודל הכישרון, שחקנית. אני נאלצת לחשוף בפניך שמירי משתמשת ללא רשות בשירים של יואב כטקסטים במבחני הבת שלה ומציגה אותם כשירים שלה. גנבת! You know, as you mentioned, the, the anger that she has about the nanny, you know, using them for her own poems and, or for her auditions, you know, she calls her a thief. But it, it gives us, yeah. for me, coming to that cultural piece, some insight into the role of poets and poetry in this culture. Because during this conversation, the uncle recites part of a poem and Nira recognizes it immediately. It's like, right. oh, she knows who that poet yeah. is. And it's not a name I recognize. I sh- In America, yes, you could probably recite a Robert Frost poem and, and people might recognize, you know, one or two of those. But to me, I got the sense that this is a culture that's really versed in poetry. And I think it represents Nira's fear of, you know... Well, I don't know if it's the culture. I think it's clear that the uncle and Nira yes. are both versed in well, poetry. Yes. Well, this is, this is where I'm going to bring some of my own sort of background knowledge in terms of okay. American culture and, and other cultures and not just specifically Israel. But I mean... In other cultures, poets sometimes are respected as like the voice of the people. And there's a poet, hmm. and I, I don't have my notes. I don't have it in my notes here, but there was a poet. It was somewhere in South America. There was a you know, political uprising, and they had taken a bunch of, you know, basically the, some of the people that rebelled, put them in a stadium. And one of them was one of the poets. And he, basically, he started leading the people in chants and poems, and they executed him. They cut off his hands and executed him Whoa. because he was basically empowering the people by being this voice. And so, I mean, we, yeah. we don't – poets in American culture – can anybody name the, the poet laureate of the United States of America today? Probably. We one? Yes, we do. We've had really? one for, for many years. That. Exactly. Okay. Poetry is something that's studied in school, but it doesn't live in the culture. And so that's one of the things that I think is part of the piece here that, that to me gives rise to Nira's fear is this is what she's concerned will happen to you of, 
sort of a cultural point of rather than being nurtured as the artist, you know, this voice, he's going to end up like the uncle, a person that is just going to be a typical person. And she wants more for him than that because she sees the, the vast potential in these, in these poems. And that's yeah, he's five. Though. Yeah. Oh, I know. He's, but the, the vocabulary he uses. Oh my gosh! I didn't. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, so and this is the other. I, the vocabulary was so so unique. I guess yes. is the right word. It was so unique that I I found myself waiting for the scene where he was just actually really great with memory and he was yeah. like oh, reciting recite, it to someone else. It was stuff that his uncle had read to him and that he was just... And that, had, that yeah. isn't what happened. No, I mean, no. Which I, I'm glad. I'm glad that the movie turned out that way, that it that this kid really was special in a, particu- in a particular way. But it was so tough to take that leap. I, I wonder, w- w- she would have to be a, an aspiring poet to believe as well. Because so yeah. many people would hear that and just assume, well, where did you hear that? You know, right. And the other piece that I I think might speak to just sort of the cultural aspect of the poetry is the and again I could be completely off base, but the the first poem that he that she hears him recite is about um, a woman called Hagar. Now this is an important. I'm I'm going to assume a lot of things here, but Hagar is one of the characters in the in the biblical Old Testament. She is. Abraham's oh. concubine and the mother of his son Ishmael. So there's a okay. whole, there's a whole aspect of this that I think is going to tie very much into Israeli culture, history, and heritage. So, yeah, I mean, it could just be possible that that's a, a popular name. I don't know, um, but it's something there that resonated but with me. In this movie, they never relate it to anyone. No, always just out there. In the open. Right. And the fact that the other thing that sort of reinforces this possibility for me is that there's a moment in the kindergarten class where they're acting out a historical event of whatever, the, some yeah. type of revolution. Judah and the Maccabees. Judah and the Maccabees. Right. Yes, exactly. So for me, again, it, it seemed to be, and again, I try not to get into allegory there, but just looking at the role of poetry and language in the culture. So that's where I think possibly there's a you know, something more going on there of, of why poetry is sort of the, the mechanism there and, and the, the va- why Nira values it so much is because in a, in a tradition, you know, that, that goes back thousands of years and, and poetry being part of that, that she's seen him as something representative of that versus I think what we'll see later on is like what her father represents, which is just wealth and that's great, but he needs to be a successful businessman all of what his of, father, yeah, what right, his father, right? It's exactly. like, right, he can do that now, but that's not that's not the man I want my son to be, right? Yeah, the sort of utilitarianism that is important in right. today's society versus you know the dreamers of artists and past. But I think I, I think that's really interesting too. Um, yeah, I hadn't considered that it would be connected in that way, but that's that's really interesting considering all the different imagery they gave us. Yes, as part of his schooling, even as a kindergartner, right. So then moving the story along. So, you know, there's this, the uncle says he's going to call the father. He never does. She talks with the father, ends up getting the the maid fired because, which I thought was an interesting. It's the one piece I struggled with story-wise. It seemed a little bit too convenient because the father, who doesn't seem to care much about poetry, is still can't 
abide a thief in his house, so fires the maid who is, you know, stealing his son's poetry to use for her auditions, which yeah, to, that, it, it was... And the, the dialogue that they used there was tough, too. It was awfully right. quick. Yes. And to call it stealing when right. you put no value in the product at all. Right. Seemed... It yeah. seemed like a leap. It was, it was, it's that piece because basically that gets the, the nanny out of the way in terms of the story so that then yeah. that puts Nira in a position to basically be the caretaker of Yoav, you know, because the father says, well, can you watch him for a couple of days because I can find somebody else. So that gives, uh, gives her access to him that allows the next piece to happen, which is she's going to take him to a poetry reading. Because if there was a nanny there, there's no reason for her to have him out late at night at a poetry reading, but clearly if she's the one that the father has designated to be responsible because mom's out of the picture, there's been the horrible divorce, mom's, you know, someplace else, he's busy running his restaurant, so he's not going to know. That gives Nira access to, to have to, to take him to a poetry reading. So this, what's interesting about this is that she gets this opportunity because, again, it's her poetry teacher who thinks these poems are hers. So he, they have a little meeting, which starts off as sort of like, it's hard to read what this, you know, it's flirtation, I guess. And then he's, I think, trying to compliment her of like, oh, your poems, I've got this poetry reading. There's going to be poets there. You'll be able to read, you know, your poems and, and, and all of these things. And it's something that just, he invites her to this reading and it's a little bit, strange to me. Wow. Because it, at the end, you know, she starts she starts pacing just like Yoav does and recites this poem. Which, you know, he's he doesn't understand what's going on for her. It's like she's trying to channel him, but then he tries to turn it into what is probably, I think, <laughs> the most awkward seduction ever. Of and perhaps real yeah, perhaps realistic I, of a man hurriedly trying to get his his pants off and struggling with his well, shoes. I think that's a, there's a cultural thing there too. Yes. Uh, you know, most yeah. of the the sexual stuff in this movie, I think, is going to seem unusual to Americans because yeah. of the way that it's approached. But um, and and honestly, the teacher for the most part is a non character. Yes. This, oh in yeah. Israeli version of this movie. Um, but you're right. All he's doing is seducing her. Right. I mean, there's no other thing for him and she's no. in a completely different position right. with it and and he knows nothing of Yoav at this point so it's a it's a weird thing and this this gets into the sort of character piece that you were talking about before when we consider Nira as a as a character who what is she doing here what is she, right. how is she approaching the situation because this runs contrary to what I said before in this idea that I just trust her and I just believe right. that she's going after this genius. She's also a person in in tumult. She's in she's 
trying to figure out her place in the world and she's not doing a very good job of it. No, she, no she's not. So she she takes the poet, invitation to poetry reading as this opportunity to like showcase Yoav. You know, she picks two poems. She has him practice them so that, that when they can get there, she even gives him some like Q&A prep. Like they might ask you some questions like this. So she's prepping him for like his like debut on the stage yeah. as a poet and it does not go at all the way she expects. It did not go at all the no. way I expected either because I I wasn't quite sure. And again, this is where there's a cultural piece because one of the poems that she picks is this one about the the bullfighter. And again, there's, you know, as we saw in the like poetry yeah. workshop, there was one woman who was just adamantly opposed, like, you know, those are for, you know, those don't happen anymore. Why would you even talk about this inhumane killing animals, all this? And it seems like something similar happens to the poetry reading because the it's such a strange event because he's reading it. And then the, the woman that was on stage before said, well, you say it, and then she's going to repeat it louder to the crowd because she's one of these more like contemporary, like performance poet people. Right. And then everybody starts like what, just throwing candy on stage, yeah. and then which is very confusing. Which is yeah, and then he, and then he gets distracted because it's like I'm a five year old kid. People are throwing candy at me. I'm going to scoop up all this candy, and that sort of like derails everything. And I'm not, yes. I'm not sure how to take that because it. I don't know if it's a rejection of his poetry. If it's just they, they see him as a child, and I'm trying to reconcile what that means for Nira and her appreciation that does no one else get it the way she does, or is it? Well, and I think it's explained in the next scene when they go to the dance, when she yeah. kind of gives up and then goes to the after dance, and the first woman talks to him and says, and and recognize the same genius that it, she did. Right. And then the candy thrower that yeah. woman says that the candy thrower owes her an apology right. and then he immediately disregards it and they just go dance. Right. Like the the point is I think the point of that is is that there are people who are looking for genius and who see it and yeah. then there are others who are just out there to make a mess. Um yeah. and I think I don't know it it, it explained it to me because I was really confused when it was happening right. with the reading. But it at least put it in context for me when then we saw this sort of breakdown at the dance bar. Right. Afterwards. And then we get a really long extended dance sequence, which was... Which is awkward. Awkward. But purposefully awkward. Yes. Again. Yes. Yeah. I think so. But then that takes us to sort of like the final movement of the film, which is yep. um, because she took him to this poetry reading, the father finds out, basically withdraws him from the, the kindergarten. So Nira has no access to him. So then this is where she goes really, you know, off the edge of following them to, to school, waiting, luring Yoav out, telling him, okay, this is how to open the, you know, he's out on the school playground, which is all gated and fenced. And she's like, okay, lift that thing over and slide that over. So the door can open. Yep. She takes him and, they hit the road. And she, I mean, she's going to flee the country because she's calling to see if she can get a passport. She's saying, oh, you know, I'm his aunt and, you know, can I do this? No, we need the parents' permission. How old is he? Oh, he's five. No, you you need to have the parents. You can't, we can't issue a passport, a replacement passport. So we know she was going to flee the country. Yeah, she's going, she's, she's going, all in at this point. Right, she's all in. So they end up at some type of like hotel. She gives a fake name and then it's like this on the edge of my seat because this room has like the most ridiculously large window I've ever seen in a hotel room. And the fact that it just like opens, like opens, it's yeah. not, I mean, it, it like pivots on a vertical axis. So it just like swings open into the room and it's this, this huge square of like 
out into outside. And I'm thinking, somebody's going out the window. Somebody's going out the window. Oh my gosh, oh, somebody is going out the window. Too. I totally <laughs> thought that. And I'm so glad no one did. <laughs> because here's the, qu- here's the most important spoiler that anyone's going to hear on this entire <laughs> right. show. Nobody jumps out the window. window. Or falls out the window because he takes a... Yeah. They've been down to the beach. We talked, you know, briefly alluded to that scene and there's poetry there and she's reading him poetry all that. They're back in the room. He takes a shower. He's sitting on the bed. Then she goes to take a shower, which she's leaving a five-year-old unattended with this huge window. And then he pulls a chair, like, up see, to that, it. I, and I see, thought, that's why I think, oh. I think that's just an American thing. I yeah. think it has to be. Because there's no way. I mean, if they do that in an American movie, everyone's assuming that there's a suicide. That there's some, a, yeah. A, a, a tragedy. Tragedy. That he's going to fall out the window and... Right, uh, and it, and I mean, it was powerful enough without yeah. that thought. So, right, <laughs> it I was. But then we get yeah. this is where things get, and I this is where I think the questions about is this an allegory or not happen because they're on the run. Where are they going to go from here? That's when he picks up the phone and she basically guides him through. She he's locked her in the bathroom, and then. Yeah. She hears him like trying to make a phone call, so she basically guides him through the process of of making a nine one one call to the police, so that they can come and get him. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to track what's going on with her. You know, what realization has she come to that this nothing more can happen? She's she's got to basically surrender and give herself up. That's what's best it's for confusing. him. Yeah, it's not clear but I at think, all. I think the, the part when I, in review, when I look back on it, when she asks him very plainly, did you lock the door? And he says, yes. And yeah. she says, did you do it on purpose? And he says, yes. Uh, it's yeah. like that simple, those simple things, because they don't really have, throughout their dialogue throughout the film, yeah. it's not really straightforward. It's right. all in poetry land, right? right? I mean, yeah. it's all... yes. You know, perspectives and look yes. at the world like a cat and yes. all these kind of like it's all artistry. So, this is like a moment of clarity when she says, um, Oh, wait. And she realized, I think, in that moment too, that this is just fantasy land. Yeah. And let's get back to real life. Yes. And so, what, to me, what was most jarring about this is sure, okay, he then lets her out because she wants to get dressed. She's like, let me get dressed before they, they get here. So she she can Which be dressed. Is very sweet. Yes. So he, yeah. he does. The police come in, they scoop him up. And then as we leave the room, which has been a really like quiet place. I mean, even on the beach, right. it was, you know, there was like beach sounds and all of that and the ocean and there were people around. But once the policewoman like scoops him up and, and walks him out, it's like there's like dance music and they're walking past the pool. And it's like, hey, everybody in the pool, we're going to have a dance party. And it just seemed like, I don't want to say like Vegas, but it just was a completely different feel outside of the room. And I'm like, it's like, this is where I started to lean into a little bit more of the quiet solitude of the world of poetry that they were in versus the rest of the world, which is loud, bombastic, Mm. partying, all of that. And that, and then the policewoman, you know, makes her way through and and sits him down like on a stool there, like in the hotel lobby or whatever. And that's our last shot of just him sitting there and he's immersed in, as I said, the world separate from poetry. And that's where we end. Cacophony of real life. I, I, I hadn't thought about it that way. That is a really interesting way to look at that last sequence. I think that's really cool. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that's the only thing, because it just leaves a shot on him, and I'm like, 
so we're, we're supposed to be, in my opinion, by placing the camera and just holding that shot on him, for me, we're supposed to be reflecting on what's going on with him. Where is he? Yeah. What is he feeling? And, and the music is just... What happened to this kid? Yeah. What, what's going on right. in his head? Yeah. yeah. Because we've seen, you know, we've seen that side of him because there's that... I don't want to say horrible, but as a parent, horrific scene of like him and his buddy whose dad is like a soccer player or something doing their little oh, chant, yeah. like cursing the other team with really right. crude, foul language. Calling so, them Nazis and whores. <laughs> yes, and, yeah. exactly. So we've seen his exposure to that. You know, it's something. It's not like, oh, I'm a poet. I'm separate from the world. It's like, no, he's still a kid that, in, get, yep. you know, enjoys that stuff and Nero was trying to protect him from that, and now he's removed from her and fully placed in that. And is it the statement that, you know, her worst fears are going to come true now? He's going to be a child of the world. He's going to be, he's not going to be the poet. Um, You know, I don't have a desire to go back and watch this movie, (laughs) even though I liked it so much, but that would be really interesting if you take that simple metaphor and run through the entire film and see if that's if that's the space, because they spend so much time when they're in yeah. kindergarten. Yes. Uh, her, she, her waking him up from naps. Yes. Yeah. To see the world in this quiet space. Yeah. I just think, I, I really like your take on that. I think that would be really interesting to look at the movie in that way. Well, this is one that I really, I really connected with because I've got a master of fine arts and creative writing with a concentration in poetry. So I've lived in, in poetry oh, land. Perfect. And yeah. so, so many of the things there, I, I just love about this film that it's, it, if, it's assembled very poetically. It's focus on, you know, poetic language of different ways of looking at the world is one that just, I mean, that's why I ranked it so high is it just really, as I was watching this, this movie just basically said, I am for you. This, you, you are going to get this. <laughs> and I, and I yeah. did. And it's, it's something that I can't explain, but I've, I've been in those poetry workshops where you've got the people that are just going to like argue with everything and, you know, all of that. I'm like, yeah. I, I don't miss that at all, but that's so dead on for all of these things. And then just being around people that live poetry deeply, um, just as Nira aspires to. I, I know those type of people and their outlook on the world is very different. So I could connect with a lot of these things and just the visuals of everything just really made this this unique film that I'll probably watch again, you know, several more okay. times, you know, over the next couple of years because it just really, maybe because I feel like it's a puzzle to be solved. And I, I don't yeah. I don't know if I'll ever solve it, but I enjoy going down it and engaging with it on that level. So for it's me, a, it's a beautiful piece of yeah. work. It's really great. Well, our next rewind is going to be the U.S. remake from 2018, star, starring Maggie Gyllenhaal, which is available right now on Netflix. Thank you for listening to Trailer Rewind. If anything we said here entertained, educated, or even enraged you, we'd like you to tell people about this podcast. Whatever your listening platform is, please share, rate, or write a short review. It helps other podcast listeners find us. If you enjoy connecting with other film fans, you can become a member of our community on Discord. It's free, and there's always an interesting dialogue or debate to jump into. You can also financially support us on Patreon. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive Discord channels, the opportunity to chat with us live before we record an episode, and the warm feeling you get knowing you are contributing support to the -the behind-the-scenes resources that help everyone here at the Next Real Family of Podcasts. So please, join us on Discord or become a Patreon supporter. Either way, we would love to have you be part of our community. Hondo.
You know what I got the other day, Pete? Stephen King's latest. Want to borrow it? Do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean? Andy, when's the last time I read a paper book? It's been decades. I would much rather use Kindle, or better yet, Audible. What am I thinking? I don't read paper books anymore either. I'm an audiobook guy all the way. For those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we discussed on the Next Reels family of podcasts, get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. There are so many great adaptations from these podcasts available in audio form. Stephen JJ talked about a lot of great ones like Odd Thomas. Isn't that series a favorite of yours? Oh, I love me some Dean Koontz. They also covered The Two Faces of January based on Patricia Highsmith's novel. I bet the book is far better than that movie. Oof. How about the Futurological Congress by Stanislaw Lem? That was the source for that quirky Robin Wright movie, The Congress. Crazy book. Definitely worth checking out. They also covered Lean on Pete, Leave No Trace, Aniara. Papillon, The Goldfinch, The Yellow Birds, and If Beale Street Could Talk. So many great adaptations covered in so many great conversations, not just on Trailer Rewind, but all of the Next Reels family of podcasts. And you can get all of these as audiobooks on Audible, along with thousands of other great reads. Producing these podcasts is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time. So, we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support the Next Reels family of podcasts. I've been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I've read hundreds of books through it. Couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out. And you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free trial and get your first free audiobook at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. Audible. 